We're going to continue this morning looking at discipleship. We started a, a little while ago and we looked at some verses in Matthew 5, which were really to do with the, the character of a disciple, um, where we see ourselves as poor in spirit, as living repentant lives, and hungering and thirsting after God. And those things should be apparent in our lives. And then Ron followed that up by looking at Romans 12, um, that we need to be transformed by having renewed minds. And it's by being transformed by renewed minds that we're able to, to live out the Beatitudes as explained in Matthew 5. And when we looked at Matthew, we, we recognised that those Beatitudes are not natural things that we are, we're able to do ourselves. We need God's power in order to live that life. And that's what God promises us in Romans 12. So we were, we were looking at, at those aspects, and we're going to move on to something a bit different this morning. Um, one of the things that is probably one of the big problems in the UK at the moment is this question of debt. People borrow lots of money and then can't afford to, to pay and end up in bankruptcy courts and so on and so forth. And Jesus told two stories in Luke's Gospel. Um, and they were of a similar, well one of them is of a similar nature. Uh, there was this chap who wanted to build a tower. And Jesus said, well, surely before he starts building that tower, he's going to think carefully about whether he's got enough money to finish the task. Otherwise, he'll start building the tower, and he won't better complete it, and he'll look rather, rather foolish. And the other story he told was of a king who was going to battle. And this king had an army of 10,000 people. And the king he was fighting against had an army of 20,000. And so Jesus said, surely he's going to think very carefully before he goes into battle. And probably if he's got any sense, he'll realise that he needs to come to an accommodation with that other king. Because the likelihood that he was be, he'll be beaten. And what Jesus is doing in that story, which are both set in the context of discipleship, is he's saying to us, we need to think very carefully and very seriously about this whole question of discipleship and whether we really are prepared to commit ourselves to it. Jesus makes it a very serious issue. If you look at John 6, for example, you'll find that Jesus had loads of followers, and as they began to realise the implications of what Jesus was actually saying, they left him. And he says to us, you need to, to weigh up, to count up very carefully what discipleship means, and whether you're really prepared to commit yourself to it. And he goes on to say that if we want to be disciples, we must be prepared to give up everything. And that's the strap line following those two illustrations. That's why we need to think through this through carefully. The strap line is if we want to become a disciple, we have to be prepared to give up everything. And he uses an illustration of salt. And he says if salt loses its savour, its saltiness, it becomes of no use. And he's giving there a picture of somebody who starts well in the Christian life, but they don't keep it up. They don't carry on. They lose that which they have, which is distinctly Christian. And the whole context of Luke 14 is, think carefully, weigh it up, count the cost, look at the implications of discipleship, and then commit yourself to it. And he looks at four areas in discipleship, not necessarily in Luke 14. We look at uh, four areas where Jesus says these issues are of significance if you're, if you're going to take a discipleship seriously. He looks at money, he looks at cares of this life, he looks at the family, 
and he looks at ourselves. He says this in, again in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that's a challenge to us really to think through where our treasure is. I was reading um, some sermons earlier on in the week um, and they were to do with stirring up um, the faith that we have. And the point that the guy was making was this, that so often we know the truth and we assume that because we know it, we're doing it. And that's why Peter and Paul continually go back over the same ground, over the same ground, over the same ground. And that's partly why we've been doing some of that this year. Because we've all, we're all the same, you know, we pick up some information, yeah, that's very true. We filed it away, yeah, that's dealt with. But in fact, it's not actually changing us, it's not making any difference to our lifestyle. And we need to determine where our treasure is. What is it that really motivates us? What is the most important thing in my life and your life? We know it should be Jesus. The question is, is it? And it's sometimes easy just to say mentally, yes, of course it is, without really thinking through how that impinges on the way that we live. He goes on in that same passage, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye be good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye be bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And he's saying, you know, what is it that we focus on? Are we focusing on what God wants us to focus on and taking that in and it becomes light? Are we focusing on a number of selfish and self-centred things that in fact become darkness? And we need to think carefully about, you know, how do we actually respond to these things? Not in our minds, but in our hearts and in our lifestyle. He says, no man can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I wonder how we respond when people make appeals for, us, for our money and say, you know, you should be giving more. Or there's a question about the way that we spend our money, whether we feel resentful sometimes. Or whether we really feel that with an open and a clear heart we can say to God, everything I have is yours. Michael Green says this, a disciple is marked out very clearly by his attitude to money. I remember years and years ago um, when I was a, in my teens and there was a young girl, we were talking about similar things in the youth fellowship and she said, my problem is... I like to walk along with a foot in both camps. And we all do that, I guess. And that's one of the reasons why we're sometimes dissatisfied as Christians. Because Christ calls us to a total commitment. And one area that he puts his finger on right at the beginning is money. Do we see our money and our wealth as ours? Or do we see it as something that God has entrusted us with? Now, I know that can become very legalistic and we can become very stupid about it. But nevertheless, as a principle, do we regard our money as ours? Or are these gifts that God has entrusted us to? And there's a call there to put God first. 
So money was the first area that he picked on. The second area was lifestyle, and we read something of that from Matthew 6. What worries you? What are the things that worry us? Are they the same sort of things that Jesus was talking about there? How am I going to furnish... Don't worry about those things. And if you worry about them, what good is it going to do? Because you won't change things by worrying. And then he goes on to say this. The pagans run after these things, and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And what he's saying is, is our attitude different to those outside of the church? Or are our attitudes to the way that our houses look, the way that our clothes are, the way that, what sort of car we've got, you know, are our attitudes different? Because that's the attitude of, as Jesus puts it, the pagans. And your father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then God will worry about all these other things. And again, it's this whole question of focus. Is our focus on his kingdom? And his righteousness. There's a a verse in Hebrews that talks about us needing righteousness or holiness. And it goes on to say, without which no one will see the Lord. Remember back in Matthew 5, one of the things that we're seeking is that we should become pure in heart. And what is this kingdom? What is this kingdom that we're meant to be seeking of? Well, it's, it's, it's the realm of God. It's where Jesus Christ is Lord and is King. And that's really, I guess, what what this is all about. Discipleship is centred on Jesus Christ being Lord in each of our lives. It's not part of our life. It's not an important part of our life. It is the important part of our life. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what he's after there. We need to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Interestingly enough, in the New Testament, or no, sorry, in the Gospels, Jesus only mentions the word church twice. But he mentions the kingdom of God nearly 90 times. And the church has within it people who are in the kingdom. But it's the kingdom that Jesus is really focusing on. It's kingdom values. It's God's sovereign rule in each of our lives. It's Jesus Christ actually being recognised as Lord and King. And so, whether it's to do with our money, whether it's to do with our lifestyle, is Jesus central? Or are there lots of other areas that become more important, or as important even, because he has to be central? Then family life. Jesus said this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, Yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, how many of us hate our spouses? I would hope none. And clearly, we're told that we should love our wives as Christ loved the church. So Jesus is clearly not telling us that we should hate our father, mother, spouse, etc., And yet that's the language that he uses. Well, in Matthew, it's probably the key to it, he puts it slightly differently. He says this, You must love me more than these. 
And what he's using is he's using a fi- figure of speech, really, to try to make a point. And Jesus quite often exaggerated things to make a point. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying that our love for him, in comparison to our love for our families and everything else, should just be of a totally different order. That our love for Jesus has got to be of a totally different order to our love for everything else. Clearly we're to love our families. Clearly we're to love our neighbour. But those loves should pale into insignificance compared with our love for Jesus Christ and our love for God. And that's the challenge that he makes there. If anyone who's coming to me doesn't hate these things in comparison, he says he cannot be my disciple. So how do we do that? Well, it's absolutely impossible, isn't it? We know what we're like, and we know how we are. There's an old song we used to sing. God specialises in things thought impossible. He can do just what no other can do. And so the whole of the New Testament is giving us encouragement to know that he gives more grace... He gives us, as Peter puts it, everything that we need for life and godliness. He gives us these great and precious promises that by them we may become partakers of the divine nature. And what does that mean? Clearly we're not becoming God. But what it means is that there is a tremendous challenge here, but God will give us all the grace and all the power and all the spiritual energy that we need through the Holy Spirit. And by those, he transforms us into the likeness of Christ. And he transforms us to have those same passions and attitudes that Christ had. And that's what Jesus is saying. You need to have that same love, that same passion. And I'm going to give you the spirit in order for that to happen. We're made partakers of the divine nature. So we've looked at our money, our lifestyle, our family... And what does he have to say in connection with discipleship and ourself? Jesus said this, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his soul? So we have to take up our cross daily. And sometimes you read people and they say, well, my cross is my mother-in-law or something like that. And clearly that isn't what Jesus is talking about. And I was trying to think, well, how best to describe it. And the other week we had a a baptismal service. And what baptism really is, it's an outward sign of something that's happened internally. And if you look at Romans 6, for example, you get an illustration of that. Romans 6 is not about baptism per se, but it does give a good understanding of what baptism represents. And what Romans 6 says is this. We have to recognise that when Jesus died on the cross, if we're believers, when we believe in him, we are baptised into that same death. And we are therefore dead to sin. And what Jesus is saying is, each day we need to recognise that. 
Because what Paul says in Romans 6 is you have to reckon each day on the basis of what has happened to you and what is true of you, and you live in the light of that. So each day you reflect on what Christ has done for you. Each day you reflect on who you are in Christ. Each day you reflect on that you have the life of Christ in you. And as you reflect on those things on a daily basis, that will then give you the power and the authority to live an effective Christian life. And, and Jesus is saying daily you have to take up the cross, you have to put to death, or as Romans again says, you mortify the deeds of the flesh. It's, it's something that we have to actively do. And Jesus is saying, you know, you've got to take up the cross there. You've got to put behind you all those selfish and sinful attitudes and aspirations that you have and recognise my kingship and my lordship. And it has to be a daily thing. And you do this daily and you follow me. Because if you don't, if you try to save your life, if you try to say, well, I'm in the kingdom, therefore I can do what I like, then you lose out. And the person who saves his life is the person who genuinely gives it totally over to Jesus Christ. So there are two men here. One loses his life to save it, and one saves his life to lose it. And we have to ask ourselves, are we in the business of actually living our own lives, watching our own interests, or are we in the business of saying to Jesus, I do surrender, I give up everything for you. Who owns your life? Who owns my life? If we're Christians, this is what the New Testament says, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. And is this something that Jesus is challenging us to do that he's not prepared to do himself? Well, that was that last reading, wasn't it? Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God highly exalted him. So Jesus was prepared to deny himself and he gave up an awful lot more than we have to give up. He is our example. And I just wrote this down and I thought it was worth just st stating this. If Jesus, being perfect, is prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice for us, to the glory of God the Father, how much more should we, for whom he died, be prepared to put our old desires and self-interest to death and live only for his glory? And I guess that's the challenge of discipleship. If Jesus, being perfect, is prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice for me, to the glory of God the Father, how much more should I, for whom he died, be prepared to put my old desires and my self-interest to death and live only for his glory? We're going to sing a song in a moment, just a short song to finish with. Um, and I'll ask Faye in a minute to put it up on the, on the overhead. And I'd just like just to reflect on, on the words of this song just for a few minutes and on what we've been, been listening to. 
and just reflect on you know, where Jesus Christ actually fits into my life.